smartphone and have the Church One app. We're planning on the barbecue. If it will be canceled, I will try, we'll be in communication and I will try to make sure a notification is sent out uh, on that smart, uh, smartphone app. Uh, just to let you know if it is canceled, all right? And uh, and I will also uh, update the website. There is a note on the website right there on the front page right now that says if it's rain, then we'll have services on Wednesday. But So for right now, we're planning on the barbecue, and then, uh, as Pastor said, we'll, we'll see how that goes. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. All right. Well, tonight's message... <clears throat> This could be a good one. I'm going to take a drink of water already first. Here we go. Tonight's message, if you would, for those who are taking notes or would like to take notes, I have titled, and I want you to make note of this title, the title here tonight, as Pastor alluded to this morning, Of All Opinions, Yours is Critical. Oh, what? Of all opinions, yours is critical. Be careful with that, and we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But it might seem like an odd thing, I suppose, to come to church, and the beginning of the message is about opinions. How often do you hear a Bible message about opinions? I don't know that I've heard too many, but I think you'll get some insight in just a little while. But it's kind of odd to think about opinions rather than expecting just the plain truth of what the Bible says right from the start. Because opinions are kind of funny things, aren't they? They are formed based on our perspective, and they're formed based on our circumstances and our own judgment. In fact, if you were to look at the definition of that word opinion, that's exactly what it says. It is defined as the judgment which the mind forms of any person or their character or of any proposition, any statement, any theory or event. The truth or falsehood of which is supported by a degree of evidence that renders the opinion as Probable, but does not produce absolute knowledge or certainty. That's an awful long de definition for opinion, but that's how involved opinions can be. And that definition, of course, comes from the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Best version there was. Anyway, uh, just throwing a little plug out there. Now it has been said, and I suppose you've heard this, if you gather any number of people together in a meeting to discuss a particular topic. It has been said that the opinions about the topic in that meeting will far outnumber the people in that meeting. Amen. Right? Now maybe you've heard it said a different way. You get three Baptists together and you'll have six opinions. Uh, you know, however you form that, it's true. Now suppose we were to dis discuss for just a moment the temperature here in the sanctuary tonight. <laughs> Suppose I were to poll the congregation tonight for their opinion on the temperature here tonight. Would we all agree <clears throat> on whether it was too warm or too cold or just right? Well, 
I don't know that we would necessarily agree, so we're not going to open up that discussion tonight. All right, That's just the way it is. I would call that kind of a poll or that kind of an opinion gathering a Goldilocks porridge kind of a discussion. Right? You remember Goldilocks. This porridge was too hot. This porridge was too cold, and this porridge was just right. Well, that's kind of what the opinions, I suppose, would be about the temperature here tonight. Isn't it funny, though, that sometimes when uh, sometimes whole conversations can be started by someone just sharing their opinion voluntarily. And when we start sharing opinions, sometimes the conversation kind of devolves into what some might consider to be gossip <clears throat> because they shared their opinion. Now, there was a church picnic. I really trust and I hope that it wasn't one of ours. <clears throat> but there was a church picnic. And as the pastor walked around the area speaking with different folks, he kind of overheard one such conversation that was happening. It started with an opinion being shared. Now, knowing that he needed to correct the direction of that conversation, he chimed in. And he said, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt, folks, but um, it sounds like this is an awful lot like gossip. And if you remember the sermon last week, it showed us that gossip should not be. Well, the response was, no, 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 Pastor. We're not gossiping. We wouldn't do that. We're simply sharing our opinions about the judgments and the decisions others are making in their lives. Well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but, you know, anyway, all of that being said, the truth of the matter is, and with all silliness aside, it is your opinion about something or someone that drives your actions and responses to that one or that thing. So, if you're wondering now how this matter of opinions can factor into a biblical message, I'm glad you asked. It is that fact that our actions and our responses are based on our mind's assessment of things and ultimately how we form our beliefs. Our scripture passage tonight, what? Yeah, our scripture passage tonight addresses this very topic. And that is why, and you'll see in just a moment, it is why out of all opinions out there, yours is the most critical. Turn with you to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. You knew that we were going there, but that's okay. Mark chapter 8. And find your way down to verse number 27 tonight. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27, the Bible here says, And Jesus went out, and his disciples, into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. 
But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, as we look to your word tonight, Lord, have had a little bit of fun around this topic of opinion, but Father, as your word points out, it is critical how we think about and how we believe about Jesus Christ. So God, won't you help us here tonight? May your Holy Spirit open our hearts and open our understanding tonight that, Father, we may see the wisdom of your word and see the wisdom of how we must be very careful and we must form our opinions based on your truth, on your facts of Scripture. Oh, God, won't you guide and direct here tonight? We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have just two points tonight to this particular message. The first point being the opinions. Our text tonight, obviously picks up from Jesus having healed the blind man. Now, I say obviously, if you happen to be here last week, you will remember that we were discussing that passage just prior to this. It picks up from Jesus having healed the blind man who was brought to Christ by the townspeople of Bethsaida. Now, we know, we know from our study of Mark already, now we've been studying for some months and has gone through a whole litany of things. But we know from this study already that Jesus had been in and throughout this whole area several times as he traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum to Gadara and to Tyre and Sidon and to Bethsaida. He'd been all around this region a number of times. And as we saw last week, by and large... The people here in Bethsaida were, ah, they were somewhat stiff-necked and hard-hearted in that whenever Jesus passed through, all they seemed to want was his physical touch and the physical healing of their infirmities. But if Jesus started teaching and preaching repentance, they weren't interested Rather, they just wanted what they thought they needed and no more. Beyond the physical healing, Jesus, as far as they were concerned, he could just go back into the genie bottle and and wait until they call upon him again. Because that's all they wanted was the physical healing. They, other than that, beyond that physical healing, all they wanted to do was to find fault with anything and everything else. Now, where do I get that from? Well, Pastor mentioned it last week. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. I want to take a look at this, this history and uh, the the structure or the the environment, if you will, in Bethsaida. uh, Matthew chapter 11. And I'd like you to find your place at verse number 16. And reading here, Jesus says, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? It is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and ye have not lamented. For John came neither drinking nor eating, and they say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. 
but wisdom is justified of her children. And then in verse 20, he began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. So you see, Bethsaida wasn't interested in the repentance They were only interested in what can you do for me physically right now. They clearly did not want to know Jesus. They did not want to know who Jesus was. They did not want to hear what he had to say. They just wanted the quick fix medicinal and magical touch. Multitudes gathered so that they could just go up and touch his garment. And that's all they wanted. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about my heart. Just fix my ailment. Fix what's wrong. And then, and then that's enough. You know, we were talking this morning about America. And I think, and I feel like by and large in America today, that's all America wants. Fix what's wrong with us and then leave the rest of us alone. They don't want God to get into the heart. America doesn't want to really be fixed. They just want to feel better. At least those that even have any kind of propensity toward anything religious. Now you see this, friends, was the mindset and the environment. This this environment of Bethsaida, that's where Jesus was just coming from. And that's, that's where he came from in verse 27, where the Bible here again says in Mark chapter 8, In verse 27, Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea and Philippi. Now because of this resistance by so many, Jesus then asked the question of his disciples. And he said, Whom do men say that I am? What could they possibly think about me? Whom do they say that I am? I've tried to tell them. I've tried to teach them. Who do they say that I am? Well, he asked this not because he didn't already know, because Jesus knew, but because I believe there was a need to highlight that question for the disciples to also consider and understand their own Perspective and opinion and belief of who Jesus was. Also, these disciples have already been commissioned, just as you and I have been, to go and tell others of the gospel of Christ. They had already been sent out. But to do that, to share the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ most effectively, we need to have some understanding. The disciples needed to have some understanding of just what kind of opinions they might come up against as they preach and teach. Because if you don't know what you're getting into, how can you prepare? How can you have the prepared answers for the kind of opposition that we're going to get? The true point of learning, I suppose, or acknowledgement, I suppose, here, is the comparison or, or the contrast of others' opinions to that of the disciples' opinions 
regarding who is Jesus to them. Notice in verse 28. They answered, after Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, that's Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. So it seemed that it was common among the disciples that they have all heard the same thing from other folks. They have all heard that, well, this man, Jesus, well, he's a good man. And he he can do some good things. But that's it. Secondly, that Jesus was considered as one of these great men of God is a good thing. But there was no more than that. He was just considered to be a great man of God. Despite the, what did the Bible say? The mighty works that were done in these areas, especially Bethsaida. The mighty works that Jesus did wherever he went. And we know from Scripture, as we've studied it, that news of what he's done and this great and mighty work spread throughout the region in a hurry. But they weren't concerned about that, as we've already discussed. It certainly, certainly, if we look at who they thought maybe he was, it's certainly not bad company to with whom Jesus was considered. Elijah Oh, Elijah, he was that great prophet who withstood 450 prophets of Baal and was, to this date, one of only two men that were taken to heaven without having to die. He was a great prophet. The others said that he was John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, as Jesus said, was the greatest to ever be born of a woman. He said, no greater has ever been born of a woman than John the Baptist. Those were Jesus' words. And he was also, if we read into the New Testament a little bit, he was also the New Testament manifestation of that prophet Elijah because he was doing these great things. And it's also found in Matthew chapter 11. We'll not read it tonight. These were great men of God indeed. But their opinion of Jesus was wrong. It was incomplete. It was unlearned. And it highlighted the need for a much more effective witness. So we read in the first part of verse 29 of our text. 28 says, They answered John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And verse 29 says, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It doesn't matter what anyone else's opinion is. What is your opinion of Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? Because, remember, our opinions will drive our actions and our responses to the subject of that opinion. If the subject is Jesus Christ, your opinion is critical. You see, herein lies the premise of the statement that I made tonight. All Of all opinions, yours is critical. Be careful to understand, I did not state that your opinion is always right. And I did not state that your opinion is always the best one. Unless it is backed by the truth and the fact of Scripture. Then 
when it's backed by the truth and backed by the facts of Scripture, your opinion is right. And it's the best one. (laughs) Now, if our actions and our responses are driven by our opinions, then it's critical that our opinion be built on the truth of God's Word. And it must come to that place where we, like Peter in the second part of verse 29, can declare without pause, without hesitation, without any hint of doubt, when Jesus said, Whom do ye say that I am? Thou art the Christ. I'm reminded of the words of that prophet Elijah. I thought about this as I was studying, and I found it in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, where Elijah said, How long, this is right before he had withstood the prophets of Baal, he said to the people, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And yet, that matter, this matter, where we are right now, this is not the end of it either, because words are but words. And if they're not supported by the life being lived, then both the words and the opinion are empty. Much like the Pharisees whom Jesus called as being whited sepulchers. They look great on the outside. Oh, we could put on a great Christian face. But they're full of dead men's bones. If the life being lived does not support the opinion that we profess, people will know that. They're very discerning about those things because Satan is very discerning. And if those that are lost, by the way, whom is their father but Satan, will tell them he's full of it. He's not true. Because look what he's doing. It doesn't match what he's saying. Walk the walk. Talk the talk, but you've got to walk the walk. So Jesus continued in verse 30. Look at our, look at our text one again, once again. Verse 29 he says, but he, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. Now they could certainly tell of the need to repent. They could certainly tell of the need to turn to God and leave their wicked ways. But you see, until the work of Christ was complete, until he had died and risen from the grave for all the world to see, Jesus said, tell no man of him. His work wasn't complete yet. And if you go and start telling people that, hey, this guy, Jesus, that you said he was John or whatever, he's going to die and he's going to raise again. (laughs) Okay, yeah, whatever. I'm not talking to you anymore about this guy, Jesus. Don't tell anybody of him. Tell of God. Tell of the need to repent of our wickedness. Tell of our need to turn from our wicked ways and turn back to God. Just don't say anything about Christ yet. Which brings us to the second point tonight, which is the outcome. We had the opinions, and now let's look at the outcome. You see, it is at this point, when the disciples' belief or opinion was clear and right, because remember, Peter said, Thou art the Christ. So their opinion, at least Peter's opinion, was right. At this point, Jesus started preparing the disciples with the details of what was to come. Look at verse number 31 with me, if you would, please. The Bible here says, And he began to teach them. 
that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. All I can imagine as I read this verse is that these are the things that come from an academic, empty, hard-hearted opinion. Things like they're going to reject him. Things like they're going to just talk bad about him. Things like they're going to just kill him to try to get him out of the way. Those are the things that spring out of an empty and hard-hearted opinion that doesn't have any truth to back it. And we've certainly seen that exact characteristic of these Pharisees and this chief priests and the elders and the scribes. It kind of sounds to me like Another scripture. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3 for just a moment. Hold your hands here. Hold your finger there. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you likely know exactly where I'm going. And that's okay. That's good. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look what the Bible says about what shall come. In verse number 1, This know also that in the last days... Oh, that, that sounds like what we're in. In the last days... Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, hide-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Verse 5 says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And what what is God's charge? From such Turn away. Boy, I tell you, more and more that sounds like America today. The Bible says, come ye out from among them and be ye separate. Because God doesn't want us tainted. He doesn't want our opinions turned. He doesn't want us convinced that somehow that we're not right. To be honest, I think that is the highlight of these opinions against which we as God's witnesses will come. All of those things that were, that was a list in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Those are the very things that we're going to come up against and we do come up against. This means that friends, our opinion, our belief, our position, our perspective in and about Jesus Christ must be mature. It must be ever-growing and ever-sharpened by each other and by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God who will lead us into all truth. Now, during that process, have we arrived yet? Nope. We're still here. We're still learning. During this process of, of maturation, isn't that a great word? During the maturing process... There will be some missteps. That's just the fact. Even though our belief and our opinion on Jesus and who he is is right, the execution and the application of that truth will falter just as Peter did right here in our text in verse 32. Look at what happened. Verse 32, Jesus spake that saying openly and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. My goodness, the boldness and the impetuousness of Peter. This is the very same Peter who was the very first. Perhaps he was the only one to respond when Jesus inquired of who art? Who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one who said, thou art the Christ. But the living evidence of that belief was not yet mature. 
Perhaps Peter thought that by acknowledging his belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the one that they all longed for, that maybe by that acknowledgement he was now free to take a hold of and maybe change the will of God by his disagreement and his disapproval of God's plan. How often does something happen in your, your life and my life that we say, oh, that can't be the way God wants us to go. God, what are you doing? If we are honest before God and with each other, have we not also rebuked God's plan in our own lives with, why me? Haven't I been faithful in church? Haven't I been faithful to the tithe? Haven't I been faithful in all of these things? Why, God, are you doing this to me? You see, that's rebuking the plan of God. Or maybe it's, God, I just can't handle this right now. There's too much going on. That's rebuking, like Peter, the plan of God. Truthfully, and as we see in verse number 33, that kind of immature response had to be corrected. Look at verse number 33 with us. When he had turned, when Jesus turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. And he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. When things are happening in our life and we are being faithful to church, we are being faithful to God and things still happen and we still get sick and we can't figure out what's going on, are we faithful or are we rebuking God and God's response is, get thee behind me, Satan. You are not savoring the things that I am planning in your life because they're there for a reason. They're there to teach you. They're there to demonstrate my love and my grace is sufficient for you to others who are watching. See, Peter's actions, much like ours oftentimes, were those of a fleshly, carnal nature that wanted to lash out at what it didn't understand or what it didn't like. Here, the immediate consequence for Peter was, by God's grace, a verbal warning. But it was a verbal warning that spoke directly to the heart of the matter. Get thee behind me, Satan. You see, it was that carnal nature, the one that Satan likes to control, that all of a sudden was controlling Peter for the moment. Jesus had to correct that. It addressed the unfinished and the incomplete nature of Peter's spiritual life. Friends, you and I have an incomplete and an immature spiritual life. Now maybe we're a whole lot more mature than we were five years ago, ten years ago, even maybe even yesterday. But we're not there yet. We're still looking to be completed. Looking for that day when the corruptible will put on incorruption. When the mortal will put on the immortality. When the spiritual development will be with complete And we will know as we are known, the Bible says. So as we close here tonight, if you and I experience some kind of a reproof of God because we are still in this maturing process, remember that of all opinions, ours is the critical one as it relates to living the effective life of a witness 
for Christ. And if there are areas that still need the backing of the truth and the facts of Scripture, don't neglect those areas and, oh man, I messed up again, God's going to strike me down. Don't do that. Search out the Scriptures. Understand where you're lacking. Understand why maybe you have responded the way you did. Search out the Scriptures and begin to find God's answer. Begin to fill the voids that need to be filled for that area of spiritual growth so that our opinion and our belief and our living evidence will be right always as we stand in faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Pastor, we close. Well, sometimes less is more. And uh, what can you add more to what was said tonight? And uh, I was sitting there thinking, I said, I'm so glad I was here tonight. A lot of reasons why we can fluff off church. And there's a whole generation of Christians out there who they just won't make time for God because there's a problem with their opinion of who Christ is. You're here tonight because you got it right. Amen. And so all of God's people simply said what? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together in the house of the Lord. And Lord, that little point in history, Lord, it may have been just a matter of a few minutes in the discourse between the Lord and his disciples who knew their hearts. And as Steve said, he knew that even in their own hearts, they hadn't really expressed a formal opinion on the person of Jesus Christ. And so he asked the question, and he drove it home. And Lord, we have been reminded this evening that we better get the facts from Scripture so we can make the right opinion because it is going to drive the nature and the character of our relationship and our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, if we go forth this week and until you come and gather us unto yourself, Lord, may we continually make sure that we have the right answer to this question and then order our lives accordingly. And, Father, we'll give you the praise for the enlightenment tonight, for the encouragement tonight, for the challenge. And, Father, use us mightily this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks. Thanks. Good.